before we get into the show, I just wanted to remind you about a sponsor of Fresh of the Word, 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, beeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest. In the world of wrestling where there are hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads, don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all their tees in-house. So if you'd like to discuss possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or whatever else, just drop them a line at 20by20apparel.com. That's 20x20apparel.com. And also look out for their limited edition enamel pens, and you might see them set up a gimmick table at a wrestling event near you. So once again, go to 20by20apparel.com. That's 20x20apparel.com. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bummy, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yellin' what it goes. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kicks, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check, but either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh, we fresh. Fresh, 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 fresh. fresh. goddammit, we fresh. Hey everybody, this is Kelly K. Fresh Fraser, and you're now listening to Fresh is the Word, and this is episode 174. And our guest for this episode is comic book writer and content creator Pat Shan. He is the co-creator and writer of titles such as Destiny New York, Snap Flash Hustle, Afterglow, Spooky Girls, Prison Witch, Gangster Ass Barista, and a whole lot more. And we talk a lot about that during our interview. Most importantly, right now, uh, Pat Shand is at the end of his current Kickstarter campaign for Destiny New York short stories. Uh, this is the newest part of the Destiny New York series. He already did successful Kickstarter campaigns for the first three volumes of Destiny New York. And with this one, for the short stories, you know, they're all just like a collection of you guessed it, short stories that take a deeper look into all the characters that are a part of the series. But then along with the short story uh, book, uh, Pat Shan is also offering a paperback reprint of Destiny New York Volume 1 with uh, new variant covers. And during our interview, we talked about the creation of the Destiny New York series. And along with making the comic Prison Witch with his wife, the important aspect of collaboration, his childhood and how he got into comics, how he broke into the comic industry, his current comic book, Snap Flash Hustle, with previous Fresh of the Word guest, Emily Pearson, and we also you know, talk about many of his other works. And we get into a big discussion about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. 
So uh, without further ado, let's get into this interview with Pat Shand. I've been following you for quite some time, and a lot of your uh, your titles that you've created have been uh, super interesting. I have been following along with uh, Snap Flash Hustle, which has been really good. And I did uh, purchase uh, Afterglow from Kaylin, like back on um, Free Comic Book Day, and that was really good. I was like, yo, um, there's a cat in here, so I'm definitely going to read it. <laughs> so, and uh, right now, we're, uh, you're in the home stretch of your uh, Kickstarter for the Destiny New York short stories. I just, uh, yeah, you sent me the the, the, the previous uh, Destiny uh, um, books, and I, you know, I got through part of the first one, and like, really, really, really love it. Let's talk about the Kickstarter right now. What's this for? What's the short stories about? You know, let's cover that. Yeah, you know, um, with Destiny New York, uh, the idea of that story is um, magic is a real and regular part of everyday life, you know? Uh, so, but the story doesn't focus on that, you know? I, I wanted to create a fantasy world that um, has the same focus as a real-life story would. Like, um, take, for example, this, right? Um in our world, we have technology, we have computers, we have cards. But in our stories, those don't dominate the narrative. Whereas in fantasy, uh, say Harry Potter, for example, in that world, everything is about magic. So I, I want to paint a world where uh, magic is real, but not a really uh, overwhelming part of life where it's in the story, but not the actual point of the, the narrative. Uh, so... In the main series, which is, uh, we have three volumes now, it focuses on um, uh, a character named Logan who used to be a prophecy girl. You know, she completed her destiny when she was 13. And her girlfriend, uh, who is the uh, last member of a uh, mystical crime family. Uh, so that their romance is pretty much the main focus of the series. But as we went along, we introduced a bunch of new characters uh, and sort of uh, expanded our supporting cast to major roles. Uh, so I wanted to kind of break from that main narrative and do a book that was able to focus on just, you know, the daily lives of these characters, you know, have a story that doesn't have the leads in, in, the, in that story, you know, have, um, a comedy story, have a, a little slice of life story, have experimental stories, just, um, be able to tell a bunch of, uh, sort of, uh, one-offs in this universe. Right. Yeah. I, I love the way it goes. Like. There is this, there's all these little things that are all tying together. It's not just like focused in one thing, you know? I just got to say, man, Lilith is hot. Oh, <laughs> cool, man. Yeah, you know, uh, I um, I did, uh, it's kind of funny. I designed her uh, before I met my wife with um, the artist Manuel Pertano, who started out with the series. Um, but I ended up meeting someone and marrying someone who looks much like her. So, 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 so hey, you know, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you, you willed it into your life or something. You manifested it into your life. I guess so. You know? like, uh... <laughs> I love seeing your, uh, your online shenanigans with your wife. You guys seem like such a fun couple. Oh, <laughs> thanks. You know, I, um, f for a while I was, uh, I was kind of getting depressed by social media and everyone is so fucking serious, you know, like so social media, it's become this just depressing echo chamber of just how everyone tweets, how bad everything is, you know? So I was doing that too for a while. And, and then I realized, you, you know what? None of us 
are making anything better. So I'm just going to have fun on this platform because if I can't have fun here, I don't want to be doing this because, you know, we have to be on Twitter for our careers. We have to, you know, just yeah. be present. So if, say, someone who's thinking about hiring me uh, sees that I'm not active on Twitter, they're going to equate that to, oh, uh, homie doesn't promote his stuff, yes. you know? So I'm going to uh, sort of switch gears there and just start to be me on, on Twitter and Facebook again, you know, and just use it the way I would um, if I wasn't really a comics creator. So I just started to have fun. And, um, yeah, man, I mean, I'm glad that you like it. You know, sometimes uh, I wonder, like, what uh, people who are just in the comics industry who don't know me think of what I'm doing. Eh, whatever. <laughs> but, but yeah, no. I'm glad it's working, though. It looks like a few people got big mad at you the other day when you uh, you posted that picture of your wife flashing her boobs. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just that one guy, you know. Uh, I think that some people just, um, I, yeah, I don't know about him, you know. That that, that was kind of weird because uh, right. in, in the picture, she's, she's obviously posing. And the point of the picture was the joke that she looks like Jeffrey Dahmer in the picture because of her glasses. Right. So <laughs> we censored her boobs with little pictures of Dahmer's face. And I would think if someone was to get offended, they would get offended because it's a serial killer joke. But no, this guy got offended because he was trying to, quote unquote, protect my wife's privacy. And it's like, she's posing, bitch. <laughs> like... like she, she knew this was happening, you know? Like, this was our idea, you right. know? <laughs> Dude, sometimes so, you just get things that are mad. Like, people get mad about things that you can't even, like, think of. If, like, like if you try to, like, write a story and figure out, you know, some, you know, dialogue people would get mad about, there's some, someone will always come and top it, you know, with something that you would never even think about in your whole, in your dreams, Oh, dude, that's that's exactly right. Um, the probably the strangest example of that was recently. Um, I got my first uh, bit of uh, hate mail in a long while. You know, um, it was this rant about how um, uh, how I, I, I'm a, a soy boy because of uh, how I wrote th this comic Stitch for Avatar. Um, it, it opened apparently with this woman saying how much she hates men and i was reading this hate mail and i was like dude no it didn't you know but then i realized it opens with this uh woman uh talking about hating the taliban so i, I was <laughs> like man this guy is so entrenched in his uh in his politics that he doesn't realize that this scene isn't about men in general but is about someone talking about the fucking Taliban. It's like, wow. It just, yeah, you never know. You never know what people are going to kind of, um, you know, I guess respond to or, or just get heated by, you know? Right. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. You um, you also have a lot of other titles that you've been um that you've released and worked on in the in recent time. Um, I started reading also the uh, Prison Witch. Yeah, yeah. Th that one, yeah, that was really good. You know, talk a little bit about the story behind making that. Yeah, you know, uh, that's one that I created with my wife, Amy. Uh, she, uh, 
she had the idea and it came to us kind of simply at first, you know, she, um, we just talked about possible comics ideas and, uh, she had three at the time and one of them, she just said, which is in prison. And I was like, yo, let's do that one first. But we kind of instead let it percolate for a while. And we did uh Clonsters, our all ages book first. And, um, slowly what we did was, uh, we just built on the concept and we decided who was going to focus on and, and what the theme was going to be. And really, um, uh, prison witch, you know, it's it's in the title. It's about witches in prison, but at its core, it's about anger. And when you realize that um, uh, the worst parts of you are also part of the overall you, you can't really say, I was acting out, that wasn't me, because it, it was you, and it's about accepting that. Um, and the way that we did it was we just kind of, um, we each came up with, a few characters that we wanted to write and we just put them into this group and uh we write it in a very uh sort of conversational way where um uh amy will come to me with some ideas and then i'll ask her questions based on those ideas and then she'll go off and write uh some some outlines and then i'll respond to the outlines um by adding dialogue here and there and the way it's done is very is, is very conversational and um we're in the middle of uh, volume two right now, which is going to be on Kickstarter in about um, a month, a month and a half from now. Nice. Yeah, I, I enjoy. I still have to finish it, but yeah, I really enjoyed uh, what I read thus far. How is how is it like working on things with your uh, with your wife? What does that sort of personally bring to the table for you in regards to brainstorming, creativity, you know, whatever else? Uh, it, it's kind of hard to say, you know, because uh, sh- she and I um. Our process is, you know, it's just we, we talk it out. But uh, what I will say is that she is um, uh, she is very idea centric in that she comes with um, uh, a big idea that will then break down, you know, and um, she. How, how can I put this? Um she she doesn't co-write in the in the way that um she'll write a full scene and then I'll write the next scene. It it's more collaborative than I have before, where we'll each write a piece of the page. And it's kind of hard to describe because yeah. I haven't done it before. Um, but we'll write everything together, you know? Um, and it's not even a matter of always sitting together. It, it's like I'll, I'll even text her some stuff and she'll text me back where I'll have to go back in our text chain and just pull little bits that I, um, had ideas for here and there. It's just, um, it's sort of more like playwriting. It's like a living sort of creature, you know, and I do, it does make me wish. And this is what kind of, um, uh, paused me before it makes me wish, uh, that we were able to write much further ahead because the way that we do it, um, I, I would like to like write a full five volume prison, Witch series before we even really put it out there. So we get the full structure and we're able to just write it at whatever pace we like and, uh, say write volume four. If we're feeling it now, just the way that we do it is so, um, it just so out of order and so piecemeal that, um, I just love, I, I love being in that mode, you know? Uh, but, I don't have time for that and I do want to get the book out. So we're doing um probably about uh every year and a half we're doing a new volume of Prison Witch. Um but yeah, no, it, 
it's such a weird method, you know, because I am um, also co-writing uh, with Vita Aiello right now. And uh, we, we are doing the scene-by-scene uh, scene thing. But si- since I've sort of um, had fun writing uh, with Amy in this way, um, when Vita gives their pages in, I am now sort of um, uh, keyed into that idea that I also want to... Uh, do this the same way with Vita too. Yeah. In a way, in that I'm um, I'm also I- enriching Vita's pages, and that I am sort of letting it become its own thing slowly. You know, R- rather than um, f- like forcing the collaboration and forcing two different voices to become one, I uh, like the way that this sort of helps the melding of voices. What do you think is the most important aspect of collaboration? Hmm. I'd say making sure that both voices are present and are uh, are part of the creation. Because sometimes, um, you know, I feel that uh, in writing, powerful voices can overwhelm, and that sometimes a powerful voice isn't always what a reader wants. And by powerful voice, I mean a specific voice. Like, say, um, I mean, imagine if a uh, if Quentin Tarantino co-wrote with anyone, it would sound like a Quentin Tarantino piece. <laughs> I like to, um, w- when I'm co-writing, I always second guess my phrasing more than I would when I'm writing my stuff because I wanted to, um, not mimic my co-writer style, but blend in a way that no one ever goes, Oh, this was a Pat scene. I want people to think, um, in Prison Witch and Clonsters, oh, this whole thing is a Pat and Amy work. And in in the book I'm working on uh, with Vita with next year, Cherry, it's called Cherry Gilbert Necromancer. I want every scene to feel like, oh, I can feel Pat and Vita in, in this rather than just trying to pick apart because that really does, I feel, um, and I, I do that as a reader, but it does pull one out of the uh, experience, you know? You know, kind of go back a little bit, you know, what kind of a kid were you? You know, how did you first get into comic books and doing things creative? You know, I, I was a dork, but... <laughs> I, I did, <laughs> but oh, really? I, I did read comics, you know. I um, I read Goosebumps books. Um, I, I, dude, I, I was... <laughs> looking back, I didn't realize that I was, like, a, a geek or a nerd until, until I was, like, 19 years old. But I was... I wore sweatpants until I was like in fifth grade. I didn't even wear jeans, you know. Oh, yeah. I just I just wore those soft hitters, you know. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I would um I would read Goosebumps books. I was just a big reader all the time. Uh, I did have this box of comics that I would go to sometimes, you know. I um my favorite from that was Creepshow because I was big into horror as a kid. I'm probably probably bigger into horror as a kid than I am now. Yeah. Um, just because I feel like um, genre does overwhelm comics, so I don't really gravitate toward a, spe- a specific genre. I just do want to find the stories where um, that just feel unique beyond genre. Um, but yeah, I only started to really get into comics in my twenties. Um, I'm, I'm a big Buffy and Angel fan. Oh and yeah, when those were those oh, are my course, favorite. Angel. That's my favorite TV shows of all time. Oh, me too. Me too. Those two. And also six feet under for me too, okay. um, but yeah. So uh, uh, Joss Whedon announced through this comic 
no, through this magazine that, that he was continuing uh, Buffy through a comic. And my first thought was, I wish it was a novel, which is kind of crazy looking back because when I saw how well it worked in comics, uh, I began to reach outside of, of the Buffy and the Angel comics, and I, I found Brian K. Vaughn, I found Alan Moore, and um, I just began to discover these amazing works and that, you know, I, I was already writing uh, in theater. I was um, hoping to break into the um, television industry, and then I just saw this brand new form of writing, I mean, brand new to me, Yeah. Uh, that... I didn't know uh, could be so powerful, and it really swept me up. What did you do to break into comics? <laughs> I actually specifically focused on Buffy and Angel. You know, I before I was really pushing comics as my career, um, I began to, you know. I was just writing everything, you know, I was writing my own stories and I began to write reviews of everything I read and saw. So I had this blog, um, uh, it was called TV that doesn't suck. And I, as I was doing that, just reviewing everything I watched, I was also uh, doing this blog, Buffy vs. comic reviews, where I would review every Buffy and angel comic that I read. Uh, and through that, I started to talk, to the editors and writers at IDW who were doing the Angel books. And I became friends with a few of them. And uh, one time I saw Stephen Mooney, uh, who is the artist now, I believe, on Black Widow, but before he, he was doing his, his own book, uh, Half Past Danger, he has a lot of great work. Um, he posted this thing about how he wants to do a story about Wesley and uh, Fred set in season uh, season five, sort of uh, when Illyria has her her shifts back and forth between uh, looking the way that she does yes. and taking on the Fred persona. Uh, so that's my favorite part of the series too. So I I that night I wrote an outline and a three issues uh, series, uh, and I just marathoned it. And in the morning, sent it off to him. And I remember he said to me, uh, he replied in hours and said, uh, Pat, not going to lie, this is good. And he tried to get it published, and it didn't go through, but it did open the door, the door for me there. Yeah. And when the series was going to um, uh, – the, the rights were passing off to Dark Horse, um, the editors there, uh, Chris Ryle, uh, gave me a shot to pitch a story in their final collection, Angel Yearbook. And I got a little two-pager in there. And from there, I just used that as a, a uh, stepping stone, you know? Well, how did you feel getting just that two-pager? It was a dream come true. <laughs> I bet, man. Oh, dude. Like, I love I, mean, I love Buffy and Angel so much. <laughs> have you have yeah. you read the uh, the new comics where it's like the original story but kind of tweaked uh, for like today? You know, I read the first one, but um, I will admit that you know, it's good. It it's well it's well written and it's well drawn. But here's the truth: what makes those characters special, personally to me, is their journeys and what they went through. I want comics that will put put them in the comic in context of that, whether earlier in their journey or after their journey. 
I want that character, the one who is going to experience the things that are on the show. So while I appreciate what they're doing and I think it's cool, it's not exactly for me, you know? Speaking of like the the all the Buffy and related comics that came after this after the actual TV show, yeah. like I came like I like I've been really like hardcore into comics only for like the past two years now, and I would always see the Buffy comics and I would see like a ton. There would be like all these different crossovers and and Spike and Buffy and Angel and everything. It seemed like there was a lot. What you know. If I wanted to go back and start the journey of the, you know, the Buffy comics after the TV show, how do I start? It's season eight. You know, it's um the the comics uh, are broken down by season, and um it started out pretty simply in that the only comic going on was uh, Buffy season eight, yeah. and that lasted for eight volumes, you know, uh, forty issues, um, and. It was at two different companies, you know. That was Dark Horse, and IDW was doing Angel, and they had Angel after the fall, which um, picks up from where that series ends. Uh, but Buffy, just look out for, for the season marker, you know. Buffy, yes. um, uh, after season eight, uh, is when Angel came over too uh, to Dark Horse. So they had um, the the season nine banner had a Buffy book, which went for uh, I believe um, uh, about five or six volumes, um, Angel and Faith, which was a tie-in, uh, which went for as many volumes, and also a few spin-offs like Spike and, and Willow. Um, but that was all under the Season 9 banner. So, so your best bet there, if you're navigating the um, Buffy uh, comics set in the actual Buffy universe, is just check out for that Season banner. You know, they have Seasons 8, 9, 10, and 11. Okay, so it went through 11? Yeah, the last one... Um, Calling it season 11 is kind of crazy because it was like four issues long. Uh, <laughs> but, but hey, you know. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I always wanted to kind of go back to it. But yeah, like when when I was kind of looking at it when I first kind of like kind of came back, like came into comics and it seemed a little overwhelming seeing everything. Oh, wait, actually, I'm wrong. That's season 12. That's the four issues. Okay. So season 8, 9, 10, 11, and then 12 is the four issue finale. Okay. All right. Good. I'm, I'm going to go look out for some online or whatever, and I kind of want to pick it off, you know, see where, uh, see where everything goes in the comic book universe for the Buffy universe. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's really interesting. At first, they, they were figuring out in a... It wasn't all even. Oh, that, that's my cat, Hoyt. He's screaming for, for breakfast. All good. Um, but uh, the, the writer, Christos Gage, came on uh, the Angel book first, and he, he's he's incredible. Uh, and then he really brought his talents to Buffy and, and helped uh, focus that title very, very nicely. Right. Well, you know, looking back, what were some of your favorite, like, episodes or storylines in Buffy and Angel? Uh, let's see. I mean... The, the moment where I realized that I was watching something great is the Angelus arc in Buffy season two. You know, it's, yes. um, it just daring it, it, uh, it really, um, it took the series to the next level and just made it into this beautiful piece of art. I, I mean, I remember, um, uh, every choice down to the music, the way it was shot. And it's kind of crazy looking back 
that just because um, uh, the quality of the image isn't as good, people don't remember how beautiful that show was shot. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I, people talk about like how Joss Whedon isn't um, – <clears throat> isn't a great director because uh, he was raised in TV, but I feel that Joss did more with TV than most directors will ever do with film, you know? Uh, so I would say the Angelus arc in season two of, of Buffy, um, uh, the glory arc in season five is wow. also right up there. And um, the entire uh, second half, of the final season of Angel is probably my absolute favorite. Oh, that was incredible, man. That was incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the ending. Oh, my goodness. Man, remember the episode of Buffy when um her mother died and there was the whole episode, you know, the funeral and everything and how there was barely any dialogue for that episode, but just sort of the silence and the, the look on everybody's face told the whole story. It was very oh, yeah. haunting. So, so, so good. I mean, that scene, um, there's this one long shot that follows Buffy as she she sees her mother and then she, she makes the call to the ambulance. And just the, the way the whole thing was done, I mean, it was just very, very daring. And that, I think, actually, um, my most controversial post recently probably is um, I posted that I miss uh, 22 episode sprawling seasons of TV. You know, yeah, I saw that. Where, yeah. And yeah, people were like arguing and I I'm not sure if their point was no you don't cuz how else do you argue that I missed that, you know? <laughs> but but um yeah man, I I I missed that because they could do episodes like that that broke from structure. Because now um I feel that uh uh I mean, we we are in a golden era of TV, but I do want uh showrunners to realize that you don't you don't need to have every episode only be part of an arc it can stand alone somewhat too you know and um we have to retrain audiences for that too because with uh stranger things when when they had that episode in season two that focused on 11 and broke from the main arc people didn't know what to do with that <laughs> right in the past that used to be very common you know and it was great Right, right, right. And and of course another favorite of mine is the the musical episode Once More a Feeling. Oh, that's probably the best one of all time, yeah. Yeah, I just I just bought the vinyl for that. I was super psyched that it was on vinyl. I was like, "Oh, yes." Hell yeah. <laughs> in the in the moment like in that episode when Buffy reveals that she was in heaven, like I remember even the first time uh seeing that episode being like like having a gasp. Yep. And everybody's look yep. on their face when everybody thought she was in some sort of demon hell or whatever, but she was like happy in heaven. Absolutely. And yeah, the, the way that that episode, um, I feel like some, some writers might make that episode stand a hundred percent alone, but that episode tied into the arc beautifully oh. and just, it, it is this, uh, singular piece of work but it also pushed pieces of the story forward and that's what i'm talking about stories that can do that that can break from format but but not lose the the focus and the sight of the vision you know right right let's talk about some of your other works um i've been uh, following uh, uh snap flash hustle what was sort of the idea behind it sort of where you came up with the idea uh, I don't even know. You know that 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 one came to me fully formed. Um, I <laughs> I just had the idea uh, of Instagram models uh, 
operating a secret drug business and, and hiding it in plain sight by communicating with hashtags. Um, and Emily is the one who reached out to me, uh, wanted to collaborate, which right. I, I was kind of amazed by because I was um, thinking of doing the same thing. Uh, so Yeah, I had her on the podcast previously. Oh, yeah. Emily's the one who mentioned, mentioned me, right, to uh, suggest me? Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure how many ideas I showed Emily, but I remember that being the one that she gravitated toward. And, you know, it, it was just um, – it was not one that I thought too much about, you know. It, it was just an idea that I had that came to me really, really fully formed, you know. So at that point – it was just about populating the story with characters, and uh, we did that kind of backwards. You know, uh, often a writer will send an artist um, uh, character breakdowns and ideas, but instead for this, um, since I had the overall structure of the idea, I just um, I built the characters and who they were based off of who Emily drew. She drew them first. She she sent me these designs, and I was like, all right, cool. This character. Um, is going to be the lead, and uh, she uh, does this, this, and that. And we <laughs> built it that way, where um, instead of just me telling her what to draw, uh, she drew, and we created it from there. Her uh, her work really kind of fit with the sort of tone that you were uh, going for. It's like a lot of like pretty colors, but at the same time, like these are people like dealing drugs and shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. I I think that it's a book. I think nothing looks like that book on shelves. I think that she, um, yeah, it sticks out. Yeah. She, she, she's going to have an amazing career ahead of her too, because I mean, for that to be her second creator own book ever. And she, she drew it, she colored it. And I mean, to me, the, the month that book comes out nothing looks better. She, she just really, really killed it. Yeah. Her, her style is very unique. And she was able to, you know, really kind of, you know, fit some creative coloring into her, you know, her drawing. And it was that when I first, when you guys were first sort of soliciting that comic, I was like, okay, I don't know what that, that comic's about. It has a cool name and it looks good. I'm going to, I'm going to at least check it out. And I, you know, it was a, it was a good book though. Thank you. I appreciate that. Outside of the things that we talked about, you know, Destiny, Prison Witch, Snap Flash Hustle, you've had some other uh, books that you've uh, also uh, created. Um, I did read um, the uh, Afterglow book, and I did really enjoy that. Kaylin Smith is such a good artist. Oh, hell yeah. And, yeah, she was telling me, she's like, uh, when you pitched her, she's like, do you want to do this thing that has a cat? And you could, and she was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, kind of talk about Afterglow a little bit. Yeah, Afterglow, um, it's um, it's a post-apocalyptic book about, um, you know, the, the world has been sort of uh, overtaken by this toxic uh, radioactive glowing color, you know. Um, and it's 100 years after this event that uh, wiped out most of the Earth's population and changed the planet, you know? Uh, and we pick up 100 years later uh, where the world is rebuilding itself. And we focus on this girl, uh, Lacey, and her her giant radioactive cat after. Um, and it is a young adult book that, um, you know, I actually, uh, 
my initial goal as a writer was to become a young adult novelist. So I think that when I say young adult, it scares some people off because they think it's not going to be a sophisticated story. It would be but, like some um, teeny bopper shit. Exactly. But the, the truth is that um, uh, I think a, a lot of people in comics don't realize yet is that young adult doesn't mean it's written young. It means the protagonist is a teenager. And that's right. that's it. That is the genre. And you know um, what? With young adult, I like reading young adults because uh, like stuff because it kind of cleanses my palate after reading something super heavy. Yeah, I mean, but but I would add too, young adult can can be super heavy. Yes, it's, it can. Um, uh, and I think that we do touch um, on some dark things in in, in Afterglow, uh, but and I think know, also with young adult stuff, like especially when you're like an older, you know, when you're past the young adult phase, it like kind of makes you think back to when you were younger and how you know how you relate to that book or that story. And see if you've gotten past certain things that are like being talked about in those books. So that's why I really like sort of, you know, reading young adult books because it kind of lets me sort of, you know, go back to when I was younger and, you know, am I over something that uh, was really bothering me or something that happened to me when I was a teenager or early 20s, you know? So I think it's a nice reflective sort of genre of book. Yeah, I mean, if, um, if Catcher in the Rye came out today, it would be in the YA section. Um, but beyond genre with Afterglow, um, uh, the idea was to create a world where uh, the post-apocalyptic uh, terrain and landscape wasn't just brown and gray. Like in, in every genre, uh, in every uh, example of that genre I can think of, all of the world is this washed out um, gray and brown landscape, right? Like when the world ends, the color ends. So I thought, what what about a colorful, beautiful apocalypse? And from there, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's I haven't seen anything like that before, and it gave me the chance. Um, uh, you know, I, I just pulled from, from from the base idea and created the creatures from there. And, um, you know, uh, I wanted to do that because I don't often uh, publish uh, work in color through my company, Space, Space Between, because um, it's more affordable to publish black and white. And our budgets are all dictated by what we make on Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, but with, with this... Um, we we did initially hire Kaylin Smith uh, to draw it in black and white, and then I I just started thinking about it and and I was like her colors are just too good. We're going to uh, one have her do it in color and two make the book more about the color of this world. You know? Yeah, she's really good with the coloring of of all her stuff, man. Like it's she's just so beautiful at anything that she does. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't um, forgive myself if I uh, had that book and didn't let her flex uh, her color muscle. You know, I mean, <laughs> she uh, Plume is one of my favorite books. Period. Oh, it's uh, so good, and I love yeah. the I love the story, and I love the just the the look of it, the art, the the coloring. The coloring is so vivid that 
Exactly. Like, yeah. You can't stop looking at it, you know. Definitely. Let's let's talk about another book of yours, and I still, you know, I would, I can't wait till I can read it because it just the name alone is amazing, uh, Gangster Ass Barista. Like, oh, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need to read this book because it it looks just amazing. Like you know, what's this about? You know, what's the story behind it? Uh, Gangster Ass Barista is a spinoff of Destiny New York uh, that that takes the character Trinity, um, who uh, you know she used to be a gangster and now she works at a coffee shop and she's trying to make rent that way. And um, uh, the the idea there was um, just to have uh, this crime book where I could sort of uh, vent my frustrations having been a former, former barista myself, you know, and just um, to do an actual crime comedy book. And when I had the title, I just realized that I couldn't not do it, you know? Uh, so, yeah, it's just um, – it is in the world of Destiny New York, but it very much does stand alone where um, it could be its own movie or TV show independent of Destiny New York. And no one going to it would wonder what's going on. Um, and But if you're a fan of Destiny New York, you can uh, go I- into the comic and um, – uh, find some Easter eggs there, you know? So it's uh, for, for readers who love that and, and also readers who haven't read that book and are looking for a unique and funny comic. Right. Let's talk about Clonsters. Yeah, uh, Clonsters, um, that started... Uh, my wife, Amy, is a sculptor, and she creates uh, these little creatures, uh, Clonsters. They're, they're monsters made from clay, and uh, she has built this world... Uh, with these creatures and she would um uh tell stories about like say um uh she would say uh this character is an earth nugget uh you know she came from the ground and uh this is her pet splat and these splats are the the cats of this world there are sea nuggets who live in the sea uh space nuggets can come from the stars above and she has these uh toys that she sells online and at conventions sometimes and uh uh, when we were figuring out what direction to take our company, um, Clonsters was one of the ones early on that I pushed to do a comic book version of because uh, I felt that the story of her toys was already very uh, uh, very uh, detailed and had really cool and interesting characters. Um, and it's been – at conventions, it's our biggest seller, which is kind of funny because um, uh, on Kickstarter – our all ages stuff kind of struggles because I realize, you know, people, um, people in comics who are buying things on Kickstarter, right? They're the, those are the adults who are going on kickstarter.com and buying books. Whereas kids, if they see something they like at a convention, they'll point and want that, you know? Right. So, um, it, we've, um, uh, had this sort of divide in our audience where um, our convention audience and our online audience are very different. And Clonsters is sort of helping us navigate that by um, finding uh, success in, in different ways. Right. Yeah, it's a, it has a beautiful, uh, those books have a beautiful cover. So it definitely like looks like something kids would gravitate towards. Oh yeah. You know, it's, um, it's one of those books where I picture, um, uh, s- s- since the cover is bright and has these, uh, uh, cool monster characters on it i i I picture it as something that a kid will you know grab up at a convention but that when uh their parent uh 
reads a few pages, they'll be engaged too and want to keep reading the story. Because uh, we, we did it in a way that I feel, um, you know, it's like uh, a Pixar movie. It's like Adventure Time where it's not written just for kids, you know. It, right. It's written to, to, to be enjoyed by everyone. And I think it's one of those books that will surprise adults when they read it to their kids how much they enjoy it as well. When you're when you're doing stuff like that, just in even all your titles, you know, how do you personally anticipate with the all-around product how how it's going to be received by people walking by at conventions or seeing the cover on, you know, online or whatever. You know, how do you go about making it sort of attractive for public consumption or even just the casual, you know, convention person or comic book reader you know i'd say um largely i don't think about that i um i i hire someone to help me with that you know i i have my editor that that works with me on all my um space between books her her name is shannon lee and she um she'll chime in with notes or ideas about um uh things that could make the covers more marketable because largely what I do is, um, you know, I I do run this business, but I see myself as a pure creative. You know, I, I don't want to think that much about marketing when I'm creating. Um, so Shannon sort of helps me um, keep that in mind and um, uh, ha- have her voice heard and uh, help shape the books in a way that will make them marketable right when um whereas i uh my my goal is to create a book that i would buy a book that i feel um uh fills a gap in 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 the comics industry that uh that no other book is really filling and um you know uh, i i think that alone makes the books marketable and how they all you know they all have a different look all the books that i do um, I, I strive for everyone, um, for my company to have something for everyone, you know? Right. And, um, yeah, I, I think that alone helps the marketing, but yeah, uh, Sh- Shannon for sure shepherds it in a way, um, uh, toward making sure that they're eye grabbing, you know? How do you go about sort of balancing, you know, making stuff that you would want to read that? you would, you know, think is missing from comic books opposed to what's marketable? How do you balance that? Um, I don't think about it really at all. You know, I, um, I trust myself that if it's a thing that I would want to read, I know someone else would because I, um, you know, I think that I have good taste. I think that I have, um, my finger on the pulse of what, uh, what, readers want because the, the the truth is that um if one person wants it multiple people want it you know and i grew up um loving story and i think that no matter what if i tell good stories and if i create compelling characters first and foremost above plot above concept above, above anything if readers get give it a try they'll want more right Going back to the current Kickstarter that you have for um, Destiny New York short stories, um, you have you have far and away been funded. You hit a bunch of the hit all your uh, your stretch goals. 
have a lot of things uh, have a lot of things available now. Kind of sort of uh, break down what's available now uh, to anybody who uh, wants to pledge. You know, we have um, there are two versions of the book. One has our main cover by Jen St. Ange, who I saw that you actually had an, an interview with yes. a while back. That's awesome. Uh, Jen is an amazing, amazing artist. Um, and we also have a variant cover by Linda Sedgwick, um, who is uh, – she is the uh, artist and writer-creator of Bloodstone. She's done a lot of work for Top Cow. She is also such a – very unique stylist and amazing artist. Um, and we have a bunch of time rewards. You know, we have uh, a pin every campaign starting with volume three. We're going to have an um, enamel pin that uh, that is one character. So by the end of the series, I plan to do many volumes. You'll have a, a collection of pins that sort of uh, represents the whole cast. Okay. Um, and uh, we have uh, art cards, uh, the, these kind of uh, cardstock prints that I do. Um, we have a, a bookmark, a signed book plate, and I just introduced two because we're, we're sending volume one back to print. Uh, I'm doing two variant covers for that uh, where you can get, um, you know, we have our standard cover, of course, but you can also get a variant by Eliza Romboli, who is now the series artist. You know, she drew volume uh, three and she's drawn volume four now. Uh, or you can get um, the version variant by Rosie Champy, uh, who drew volume two, you know, she, she, she is, uh, the artist on spider Gwen. She yeah. has her own comic unknown lands. Uh, she drew this beautiful piece that we saw and just really couldn't, uh, bear to put any logo or text over, you know? Yeah. So, I um, need to get that variant cover. Uh, after I need to, it's such a beautiful piece. It's such a beautiful and sexy and lo- it's, oh, it's like a lot of emotions in just that one piece. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, she does. She um, uh, she does a uh, sensual cover in a way that just feels very natural. And I did um for a while when artists would show me uh, cover concepts that had any sexy elements. For a while, I would pull back because I um, I worked at Zenoscope for a while too, so I, I didn't want to um have the impression that I was um, behind those covers and that I was the one who was uh, uh, shepherding Zenoscope's image because they, they, they do those uh, TNA covers, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I have a few um, of those on my wall at the crib. <laughs> you, <laughs> mostly yeah, I mean, from Mike Chrome because I love his work. Oh, no. Chrome is... Um, he, 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 too, is a very incredible artist. His detail is so minute there's so much going on in all his covers but they are very very clear um but at at zenoscope it wasn't that i didn't uh support that kind of image what it was was that i was overwhelmed that uh every book that i would do would have a similar cover it would all be similar so for a while I, i wanted to break from that and just have (laughs) <laughs> sort of like no quote unquote sexy covers at all, you know, uh, j- just to um, show that I have my own voice and that all my books are going to be different. Um, but Rosie, uh, the covers that she draws and the the work that she draws um, uh, for Destiny New York specifically has such a uh, human and uh, grounded sensual element that when 
she does these covers, they it doesn't feel um, like what I was worrying that all my work would uh, be seen as being this one thing. Instead, um, when I look at her covers, I don't see that. I see the characters, and that that that's what I want in, in any cover. But she she does make a beautiful cover, man. So you know, as we close out this uh, interview, is there anything else you want to talk about in regards to uh, the Destiny Kickstarter or just like the Destiny uh, you know series as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say if you're gonna try one book by me, this is a great book to try because uh, you don't need to have reds to have read volumes one, uh, two and three to enjoy this. You can just start with short stories, dive in and read that. Or if you do want to get the whole picture, we have a bunch of tiers where you can get, uh, this plus volumes one, two and three, or this, the whole series and, and our spinoff gangster Esperista, you know, uh, I think that, um, you know, this is what I would want to read as a reader. It's a series that each volume is a thick, sprawling epic you know i do uh 200 page volumes at least once per year i'm gonna go on for a long time so i as a reader look for characters i can invest in long term and these are characters that myself and my company is committed to doing for a long time you know we have um uh so far five volumes already planned and written out i plan right now to do 11 volumes uh so yeah (laughs) I'd say now is a great time to dive in and just uh, fall in love, in love with, with these characters. What is it about these characters that you personally love and how do they resonate with just the general public? You know, I, I think that um, it's a hard question to answer just because there are so many characters and they're all going through their own thing. But I think that no matter who you gravitate toward, there's going to be someone or multiple someones that you're going to see yourself in just because we have, um, you know, I'm taking my time with this series. You can really, um, uh, see that, uh, the, the chapters aren't pushed forward that much by plot. It lets the characters breathe. It has a very loose narrative as far as who it follows at what point. And, um, it, it has what I think is important in, um, and character arcs is that that build up and that rewarding the reader for their investment and just giving them catharsis and, and giving them something to care about. And uh, I, in this book, am giving readers exactly what I would want as a reader, and that is a reason to believe in these characters and stories and, and to feel for them. And I always like to end my interviews with the same question, and I gave it to you ahead of time to think about it. Who is somebody that would you know you'd suggest to that I interview for this uh, podcast that would have some great stories or lessons to talk about? All right, so I did. Um, I went through your page to see who you've spoken to before. I didn't get to see the whole list, but my idea to start with: um, Have you spoken to Larry Watts? No, I haven't. All right. Larry Watts, he's that guy. He is the artist uh, on Robin Hood, who I um, I was on that book for four years. Larry Watts has drawn Evil Dead, Army of Darkness. Um, he is working on some awesome stuff right now that I can't say what it is, but he um, he and I have a new thing together that's going to be probably in preview soon. Um, he is one to check out. He is... Uh, uh, 
someone who I want to hear more from myself verbally. You know, he um he always has me on the phone, so I, I want him to sort of get his voice out there as well. He he he's great. So I I very much would say Larry Watts is that guy. Okay, great. Yeah, good suggestion. Uh, before we get out of here, where can uh, people go online to get more information about what you're uh, up to and anything? Just you know, go ahead and plug away. All right. Um, you can uh, at me on Twitter. Um, it's at Pat Chand. It's pretty much Pat Chand everywhere. You know, uh, my company is Space Between Entertainment. We're on Twitter, Facebook. We have a YouTube channel where we post a weekly podcast. We do uh, reaction videos. Um, I'm thinking. I'm thinking maybe I'll start to do some Pokemon Go comment there uh, content there too. Um, but I do hesitate to turn uh, my hobbies into jobs because that's sort of. Um, what got me here, you know? <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, yeah, man, just uh, I'm 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 Pat Chan pretty much everywhere. So if you can't find me, you're not doing it right. So that's my interview with comic book writer, author, and content creator Pat Shand. It was great talking with him. Go right now to check out the Kickstarter for Destiny New York short stories. The link for that, along with other links to follow Pat Shand, will be in the show notes for this episode at FreshesThePodcast.com. And before we get out of here, I definitely want to remind you of a few ways you can follow Fresh is the Word and support the podcast. Fresh is the Word is streaming pretty much anywhere that podcasts are streamed, most notably Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Google Play, and if you want to follow me and Fresh is the Word online, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at KFresh is the Word and at Facebook at Facebook.com slash KFresh. And then we also have a Facebook group. If you go to Facebook.com slash groups slash Fresh is the Word, you can join the Fresh is the Word Facebook group. There's a lot of good discussions going on. That's where I post most of my, you know, good pop culture stuff on Facebook. We uh, have a lot, you know, we have a lot of great sort of uh, creators and artists and whatnot from all aspects of pop culture that are, you know, contributing to the group. So you might be able to meet someone who you'd never meet before and maybe you can collaborate a little bit. So um, once again, go to Facebook.com slash groups slash Fresh is the Word to join the Fresh is the Word Facebook group. And you can also... Follow Fresh is the Word on Twitter at Fresh is the Word, and that's is with I-Z. Instagram at Fresh is the Word Podcast. And on Facebook, there's a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Fresh is the Podcast. And also, if you want to support the podcast, um, I'm on Patreon now at patreon.com slash Fresh is the Word. And for as little as a dollar, you can uh, help out the Fresh is the Word Podcast and everything that I'm trying to do. Shout out to the few... Uh, subscribers that i have thus far um, i already have a lot of good content on there the most uh the most like the coolest content that i'm putting up there is for the three dollar month tier which you will get the patreon only exclusive podcast episodes where i dig deep into my audio archives for interviews that i've done outside the fresh the word podcast for the past decade or so for other publications some i may have never even released or written about but uh, it's the full audio for all these different, um, mostly musical artists that I've uh, interviewed. So there's a lot of good stuff up there already. 
Um, I have two episodes dedicated to Jay Dilla's mom, Ma Dukes. I have an old uh, Danny Brown interview, an old Black Milk, uh, Chuck Billy from Testament. Uh, it'll be it's it's a lot of cool stuff, and I got like a treasure trove of other audio that um, I'll you know eventually be posting up. I I'm trying to do at least four or five episodes a month on Patreon. Um, I'm a little, I, I still haven't posted anything for this month, but I'll do that probably in the next week. Um, I just kind of drop them all at the same time. So go to patreon.com slash fresh of the word and check out all the tiers that you can support fresh of the word and, you know, help out if you can any dollar, every and any dollar counts. So, uh, that's about it for this episode of fresh of the word. Thank you for everyone who's listening, sharing, downloading, streaming, saying anything, helping out in any way with uh, you know this podcast. Just keep doing it. If uh, you have any questions or concerns or anything you want to pitch, you can always email me at djkfresh at gmail.com. And remember, go out there and live life with intensity with a capital 10. Thank you for listening. Goodbye and good night. Fresh is the word.